The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. So we wanted to have Evanescence as the underscoring for this introduction, but as it turns out, even 18 years later, Bring Me to Life is still overplayed. This is Totally Super. Welcome to Totally Super. We review every movie ever, every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. Usually your your inner worlds are longer, and so I wasn't ready for it to go so so short, and then the, well, the you punchline got, at I, the I, end. I, I, I switched things I had a, up. You gotta, be, you gotta be on your feet. I had a, I had a, I had a mouthful of, of drink in my mouth, and, and like I spat it out at the end because <laughs> that's you, pretty funny. It is over, although it's still a good song. You realize that now I'm basically from here on out. Then all of my introductions are either going to be one minute long or five seconds, and you will never know which. <laughs> Today we're reviewing the uh, the 2003 Ben Affleck Jennifer Garner starrer Daredevil, the Marvel Comics ab- adaptation made for Fox back when Fox owned this stuff before Marvel owned Fox. Um, and this is a this is a weird one because this is a film that um, that was by all like intents and purposes a, a big success or a moderate success at least, um, but mm-hmm. it is looked on with real derision. Um, so I'm interested to see what you think about it and to look at its place in history over the course of two episodes. We're going to be uh, splitting this one into two. Something to look forward to next week. I have endured. I mean, watched Electra, the spinoff film to this film, and I. I have things to say about it, but we'll be waiting till uh, the next the next podcast to do that. So let me start by asking you this, Arthur. What is your experience with this film? First of all, where did you first see this film? Well, I first saw the original version of this film in the theater, um, although I do feel compelled to let you know that for this, for the purposes of this uh, podcast, I went and saw the director's cut where everything had been animated instead. So we could have like the two film perspective on it. Wait a minute. The whole film has been animated? 100%. The whole film has been animated uh it was done with like an anime style uh i thought that Wait, would be kind what? of no i'm just no, no i'm just no there's there's only one film although if there had no, been the, a second version of this film you can be darn sure that i would be watching it and not telling you until right now well, well here's the thing there is <laughs> pardon me there is an r-rated director's cut of this film that i have still yet to see um oh. that i, I Wait, was gonna you watch mean i this. had an actual opportunity to watch the version that you had not seen and i missed it yes wow now yeah. i'm angrier than if i had so. actually seen electra and and, and uh, the, the uh, R-rated version of this film, the director's cut, is considered to be by far the superior version of the film. Um, I'll just jump in off Wikipedia that the director's cut um, uh, was uh, released um, five years later. Uh, it's rated R. It has a, a subplot with a drug addict, addict played by Coolio, which is really interesting. Um, interesting. And uh, and it is in general considered to be the um, the superior version of this film. Now, I actually would be so, keen to see that because the so um, I feel like one of the re- it's interesting that this movie has acquired so much derision, and I almost wonder if it's it's not because it's terrible; it's because it's to use your word fine. Like there's <sighs> there's a certain by the like there's a very by the numbers approach to this film. It's just there. There's not horrible choices made, but 
but there's no like really cool, interesting choices made either. Um, it's a uh, it's a very lukewarm sort of film uh, to my mind. And actually, I'd be uh, and Daredevil to me at least is anything but a lukewarm character. He's one of my favorites in the in the comic book canon. Uh, so actually, yeah, now so I'm, what I'm is, kind of interested in seeing the R-rated version. What is your experience with the character Daredevil in the comics? Uh, so you know, I was not a big comic book fan growing up. Uh, however, there was one point in time where I randomly came into possession of like a box full of random comics. And uh, one of those, and one of the series in those random comics was a four-part series called Daredevil and the Fall of the Kingpin. And I was really caught up in it. Um, I it's I, I kind of, I really liked Daredevil's, uh, both his lawyer by day, vigilante by night. Um, I loved the idea of a blind man with superpowers. Uh, and I really loved how they I mean, Daredevil's fate, for better or for worse, is a very integral part of his character, and I really like how they've uh, how they've sort of uh, integrated that. Um, he is always somebody who is dealing with tremendous moral issues, and it's it's kind of neat to see that. E- even as a young kid, I loved the moral dilemmas that he constantly put himself through. Um, I had uh, a, I had a few comic books in '80s when I first started doing uh, reading comic books, and one of them was the type the Typhoid Mary saga in Daredevil who she appears in mm-hmm. this is Typhoid um, and the way that she was a bit of a seductress at the same time um, at the point that I was reading it uh, I Electra was not part of the comic he was with Karen Page um, who factors heavily into the series uh, who uh, was fridged in uh, in the comics eventually um, I was vaguely aware of Electra in that she had appeared in some X-Men comics here and there and I know that what she was famous for is being stabbed by um by Bullseye and I knew that um, but there was interesting uh, just sort of home ec stuff that was happening in that comic book uh, he was living with Karen Karen came home with a bag of groceries and he was naming every single grocery in the bag to her and she was getting more and more frustrated as he was doing it and I mm-hmm. it was just there's something about that that I really liked there was something just sort of the, the, the neatness of that that I really enjoyed and I liked him as a character yeah. I also was into him enough and I knew enough about him to be excited when the trial of the Incredible Hulk came on TV. Now, I was a watcher of the Incredible Hulk series uh, on and off, and I had not seen the Incredible Hulk Returns, but I watched the trial of the Incredible Hulk specifically because uh, Bill Bixby's David Banner was being defended by one Matt Murdock in court. And when the goons finally came to try and get David Banner, Matt Murdock shows up in a black costume, very much like the first season of Daredevil, um, with something over his eyes, and he fights, and it's Daredevil. Daredevil was on TV and I thought it was the coolest thing that I was seeing you know I don't know if you saw did you ever watch the Incredible Hulk TV show I never did so it's not it's more of a procedural where the Hulk shows up once or twice and and breaks some walls Um, it's not really a superhero show so to see an actual superhero that I knew from the comics there on TV was amazing Um, and that I think combined with the the reading of the comics that I did which seems to be the plot of every Daredevil comic is that some stuff happens and then Matt is is, is physically and psychologically tortured until he wins, although the win costs him almost as much as the lose. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of poor Matt. That's kind of how things go for him. Yeah, um, I will say after uh, I read, you know, once I got Marvel Unlimited, I read about 10 years of Daredevil comics all at once. And let me tell you, when you binge them, you just see how Daredevil as, a, as an arc is just one long progression of Pyrrhic victories that leave him more and more a broken shell of a 
man. Uh, there's with with unfortunately not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of you know good clean happily ever after wins for him. Uh, far fewer yeah. actually than just about any other superhero. Um, it's I think it's safe to say that this movie tries its very best to do like the cover band's greatest hits of Daredevil, like his yes. most iconic shots and the most iconic moments, all like just thrown at you just because they feel like that they need to. Um, mm-hmm. and that's something that we can talk about as well. Um, but when this movie came out, I uh, I saw it once in the theater with uh, my wife and then my brother and sister who were teenagers at the time. I brought them. They liked it even more. The soundtrack um, I was very aware of and then which got me into Evanescence between that and you using Evanescence as the uh, when you were the sound designer of Romeo and Juliet when you and I did that together. <laughs> um, well, I think uh, I think everyone was I, I, everyone was using Evanescence that season. It's a good those those two songs are really, really good songs. I think that I mean, and those two those two songs are great represented are they're the best representatives of an album which as a whole is still really good yeah um it's just overplayed at this point now we're all kind of like mm-hmm. but um so that is uh that is our experience uh with daredevil uh this film came out on february 14th valentine's day 2003 this film's 17 years old that's weird uh yeah it uh it was 103 minutes long it was made for only 78 million dollars which is not too much like you're Typical rom-coms these days are made for that. Um, with a box office of $179.2 million. To place it in time, we're talking like three years after X-Men, and I think this would have come out um, just before or just after the first Spider-Man film, and I just want to look that up. But I think probably, I think this is going to be just after that first Spider-Man film, um, which was in 2002. So this is sort of the next comic book movie to come. Um, It, uh, in terms of reviews, it was kind of, spat upon for uh for what it was um uh while it had decent enough um reviews in the like in critic circles um the fans really kind of kind of crapped on it a little and i think that's because you're just getting at this point in time into the the uh ben affleck backlash or or the backlash um i think that people are just kind of going ugh, like it's ben affleck as a superhero um do you, do you did you get the sense when you watched it that 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 was something going against it your your own personal feelings about Affleck before seeing the film? My feelings about Affleck had nothing to do with my enjoyment of the film one way or the other. Honestly, um, really, I I think the I feel like yeah, like I I don't think that uh, backlash against Ben Affleck had nothing to do with it. Um, but I also think it was sort of this was this was starting to be a hallmark of a time where for the first time ever we were starting to believe that because we'd had decent examples of it already that superhero movies could in fact be good and therefore when this one just kind of fell flat uh we actually had we we actually had expectations for daredevil i mean for x-men uh even for spider-man i feel like oh i forget where spider-man fell in this but the um for x-men there was a sense of oh hey i'm this might not be great but hey they cast some cool people and it's cool to see superheroes up on the screen um but by daredevil's time at least for me i remember thinking no superhero films should be great and then this one wasn't uh so i think for me at least that was that was more of my lackluster response to it than than anything having to do with uh, ben affleck i i liked ben affleck in the role uh, actually in re-watching it i thought he did a great job with it um and i have to correct myself
myself, I read the wrong reviews um, and the reviews I read were fairly kind to it, but there, there are some Rotten Tomatoes I do need to read to you. Um, uh, this is from London Evening Standard. From start to finish, the film is death ridden and employs an, an over amplified sound to pump up its many pornographic images. Um, much of the rest hmm. of Daredevil is so dark that you can't see it. I don't think you're missing a great deal. Um, torn between moody grandiosity and cartoonish mayhem, Daredevil tries to have it both ways and succeeds at neither. I think that's fair. Um, and then this here, there's good stuff in the margins, but on the heels, this is what you were just saying, but on the heels of such successful comic book adaptations as X-Men and Spider-Man, Johnson's ma- film makes Daredevil look like the second rate hero he never really was. And I think that's, I think that's the term that, that you were looking for there is second rate. Um, we are in, in an era where X-Men had come out and X2, I think at this point had come out and the first Spider-Man had come out and mm-hmm. the, for this to come out after this seems lesser and it's, you know, it does have you know the first spider-man movie had an enormous budget and this did not so Mm -hmm. this is you know um i think that some of the there are choice to be made we can talk about as we go through um but uh i think before we do anything else let's uh let's hear a plot for daredevil such as it is plot of daredevil we open on daredevil aka matt murdoch bleeding out in a church it's dark and gothic. I think there's rain. We then hear Matt's voice as he leads us into a flashback to his origin story. A young boy with a single father who's a boxer. He's sprayed in the face with toxic chemicals in an accident one day, which robs him of his sight, but makes all his other senses superhuman. He can hear just about anything around him, and it gives him a sort of sonar. That's how he gets his powers. As for his motivation, his father is killed by gangsters after refusing to throw a boxing match, driving Matt to grow into a man dedicated to pursuing justice by day as a lawyer, and when that fails, revenge by night as the daredevil. It should be noted that Matt Murdock has murdered parents and actual sonar, which makes him technically more Batman than Batman. Oh my While hanging out with his partner-in-law, Foggy, played by the lovable and affable normal sidekick, John Favreau, adult Matt meets Electra Nachios. We know very little about her, except she's the daughter of a billionaire who made her train in martial arts every day since she was a child. Through a series of scenes involving hyper-violent meet-cutes on a playground and tender moments in the rain, which apparently makes him see better, they fall in love. Electra's father, unfortunately, is a bit of a dirty player, and has crossed the number one gangster in Hell's Kitchen, Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. The Kingpin. Fisk hires a psychotic Irishman named Bullseye, aptly named because he can throw anything and never misses, to kill him. Bullseye ambushes Electra and her father after a gala. While Daredevil shows up to try and stop him, Bullseye succeeds in killing Papa Nachios, using Daredevil's own club to do it, making Electra think it was him. She swears revenge on the masked crusader, and starts training to kill him. Needless to say, this doesn't do wonders for Matt and Electra's relationship. Electra ambushes Daredevil on a roof. They fight, and she stabs him in the shoulder with a sigh. She unmasks him, only to find it's Matt, and realizes he wasn't the killer. But Bullseye himself, now paid by Kingpin to kill Electra, appears, and sadly ends up stabbing her with her own sigh. She perishes in Matthew's arms. Or does she? Matthew escapes to a church, and, hey, we've seen this scene before. We're back at the beginning. Bullseye follows. They have a kung fu fight on a pipe organ. After a lot of flippy and throwy theatrics, Daredevil punctures Bullseye Bullseye's hands and throws him through a stained glass window to the street below. Having learned the true identity of the kingpin from Bullseye, Daredevil goes to challenge the man in his own office. They fight. The kingpin
Kingpin is, like, really strong. But Daredevil smashes an aquarium, or something, which activates the sprinklers, which is, hey, a throwback to that previous rain scene. Daredevil, now able to fully see the Kingpin, breaks his kneecaps, but ends up not killing him, because, as he said a few times in the film, he's not the bad guy. During the wrap-up, a few days later, Matt finds a necklace very similar to Elektra's hanging outside his apartment, making him think maybe she's still alive, and might show up in the sequel, which there certainly will be. We end with a montage of him leaping across the rooftops by night. A guardian devil. Fiend. So... Daredevil. So much to say, so much to to break down in that plot. First of all, um, is it possible for a plot, in your opinion, to be both really convoluted and overly simplistic to the point where you sort of feel like you're reading a bad young adult novel? I So uh, this was, I did not find this plot to be overly convoluted. I actually found it, I do agree with you that it's incredibly simplistic. This was one of the easiest plot summaries I ever had to write because everything just went boom, 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 boom. Like, and all the stuff that was pretty needless was like, it was easy to just sort of leave that out of my mind. Uh, the plot to this does kind of remind me of the plot to Aquaman, which we reviewed before, uh, which at the time right. of Aquaman, I said, like, it's like you you taught an 11-year-old all of the keys to what make a true mythic journey story and then had that 11-year-old write their own version of it. Um, this has technically, it, it technically covers all the beats of a good superhero arc. You've got a tragic origin story. You've got, um, you know, you've got the conflict between real life and your superhero life. You've got technically the moral dilemma of, oh, is what I'm doing right? Am I the bad guy? Uh, and and it's it's all there. It just it's it's a whole lot of tell and not a lot of show. Um, and in the end, it doesn't just it, it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle with pieces from all these different jigsaw puzzles. And technically, they all kind of fit together. But the overall picture that you're left with is just kind of con- jumbled. Yeah, I and that and that's what I mean by overly complicated. I can think con- convoluted is the is what I mean. The simplistic part of it is that it really is typical three act structure. This happens and this happens and this happens and this happens and now there's a twist and this happens and this and then there's a middle twist and this happens and then there's a, a one climax and this happens and then there's your final climax and then the, the, the film ends and it, it there there are aspects of it that are very rote. At the same time, I think when I say that it's convoluted, I do feel like you're you're watching Matt and you're into Matt's story and now we're going to spend a little bit time on Electra's dad and, and a few scenes about him and the scenes seem to be about him and then right when they're not about him, now they're about Electra. but now they're going to be about Bullseye but that's going to lead us into Fisk and at first it sort of feels like the film is trying to make a, a, a mystery out of who Fisk is like there's a moment when Daredevil is like what? Wilson Fisk is the, dare- is the kingpin? And the film is presenting that moment as if you the audience are supposed to be going what but they tell you that he's the kingpin um there's a side plot with a uh with a reporter played by joe pantaliano who's you know who's good in the role and who i know that character very well from the daredevil tv show but like he doesn't even really like he doesn't actually do anything in the film Mm -hmm. he like you literally could remove him from the pill film change like one or two little plot points and he's entirely unneeded he seems i mean i removed him i removed him from my plot some because he yeah you know was not um, in any way um and and so there's there's all of this convolution around it um and so it's it's basically a meat and potatoes plot where they've like put on i don't know ch- chocolate sprinkles and soy sauce 
Like, it's just like, here's some other stuff. So we're just throwing on here too. Maybe this will work. Um, mm-hmm. The other issue that I have with just from a writing perspective and the way the film comes off, I, are you put off by the, by the, the, while there is an ever present Gothic tone to this film, just like the, the, the change in tonality in the, the scenes with him and Foggy and then the uber romantic scenes with him and her. And then the like, oh, we're in a gangster drama. Like, do you, like, I found myself so moved, moved moved around by the tonality of it that I was not it was hard for me to get pulled into any of it because it didn't seem to commit to any I'm not put off by the change in tonality between the day scenes and the night scenes uh, because to me I think that even kind of highlights the the sheer divergence between the two lives that he lives Uh, however now that you mention it though the night scenes are either supposed to be this dark gothic um, you know the the dark gothic bleak uh, sort of thing but then you've got these intense like passionate romance scenes and those two don't quite work as well with each other I think you know I go back to the second film that we ever did I think it was the second second or third that we ever did um, which was The Crow. Crow, which had the same, uh, which uh, the music was by the same guy. Yeah, same, the, the same, same music on The Crow. Um, it is a, a gothic superhero action film um, in the rain, in a city, at night, with both martial arts mayhem and uh, and an over the top gangster king. Right? It's it's like the comparisons need to be drawn between the two. The Crow commits to its tone, so that even the humor is a little bit sad, and even the humor is is within. Is within the world, and I don't mm-hmm. feel, for instance, like the playground fight and the mustard in the coffee are happening anywhere near him hugging the cross and bleeding into the church. Mm. It doesn't feel like they are of the same world, and we're supposed to be doing our emotional investment. We'll talk about the characters in the second part, but we're supposed to be doing our emotional investment into these characters in those lighter scenes, in the in the in the, the you know brighter scenes but also in those scenes where they get to not be sad all the time it's so divergent from the tone of the rest of the film that it feels almost like, and you know keep in mind you have also he wears a mask in the other parts of the film like you don't I don't I'm not getting the investment in the same character because it seems like he's two different characters in two different worlds the the smirking athlete I'm just following I'm just kind of joking playing around with you and seeing what happens here guy who follows Electra in a very kind of stalkery way yeah who, do, who very clearly does smells- not take no for an answer and why is he following her like she you granted jennifer carter is a beautiful woman he can see that and i'm sure she smells terrific but why is he following her to a playground to spar with her why is he doing this um i think much needs to be said about that play i let's let's take a minute to talk about the playground scene because when people talk about why they hate this movie the playground scene invariably comes invariably comes up it's terrible right am i wrong am i am i off base on saying that playground scene is just the worst you'll have to be more you'll have to be more specific uh daredevil fighting with electra on teeter-totter that part didn't, rather Matt that part didn't bother Matt me. in front of in front of a bunch of school children and this is supposed to be your introduction to ooh they can both fight like it's 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 so your problem so your problem with it so is your problem with the fighting itself is it where the fighting takes place that's why I mean by you have to be more specific about what you find terrible about it okay so this is the, it's it's a combination of one you know it's a and I I feel like a hypocrite saying this that the, it's over edited um the fighting is not great and in a world where they will train you know keep 
Keanu Reeves to do the Matrix. The Matrix sequels are happening right around this time. You know, in in a world where where people actually train to do it, I don't get a sense that either one of them are actually fighting. Cut too much. It's too the fighting itself is no good. The place where they're fighting is also like like it's silly that they're there. I don't know why they're doing it in front of the kids. The kids are being ooh look at this. There's there's this smirkiness to it. It 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 it's silly. It's a silly silly scene. And how do I let that jibe with him hanging on the hanging on the cross? It's it seems like a different movie. This seems like this is something out of like Three Ninjas Strike Back or something. It's interesting you mentioned the uh, the Matrix. Or ninjas versus I remember strikers. even at the, I remember even at the time thinking the from a fight choreography and a fight filming perspective. Uh, it's so interesting. You know, twenty some twenty odd years later, uh, it, it is hard to overstate just how much the Matrix influenced people's approach to any kind of higher end martial arts in films for years. And in this, uh, you you had so many films in this era essentially trying to be the Matrix, um, either through suddenly amping up the Kung Fu, through, you know, bullet timing and 360 cameraing the hell out of everything. I remember when Blade 2 came out, and I think they had the camera, there was like one shot where like the camera moved 360 degrees one way and then switched into a vertical axis and then moved 360 degrees the other way. Like every, it, everything at this era, it was so clear they were just trying to be the Matrix. And this film certainly fit into uh, that same mold. Um, and of course, with, I think, rare exception, uh, no film actually succeeded in doing the same thing that the Matrix did. Although, boy, howdy, did they try. Yeah, I think the thing is, is this is, if we're going to compare this to the Matrix, this is the Neomorpheus fight, right? That's what this is supposed to be. They're not really trying to hurt each other. Yeah, you're you're just getting a sense of of when they're playful, they can both do it. But the fact that A, it doesn't seem like they can do it. B, they're on teeter-totters, which is a, you know, it's it's a choice. Um, It's maybe not a great choice. Um, And and see that it doesn't jibe with the darker but it's it's stuff like that or the mustard scene which came right before actually much of the scenes with foggy which came before um you know i and and i will in the next episode we'll compare it with the tv show but there's there's a consistency of tone that's not happening and so that is that is also sort of pulling me out um let's talk about the fights let's talk about the the fights and the effects because one thing that the matrix had was really good effects and really good fights and this is coming right around that era and i understand there's that great line from Jurassic Park where uh, where Ian Malcolm says says they're so sorry about whether or not they could. They never stopped to think if they should. Um, yeah. And this is right in that era where they're going to look at what we can do with CGI and compositing. We don't even need to put them on sets. They can be in front of the green screen and that'll still be fine. And we can have digital weapons and digital people jumping around on pipe organs. The other thing that people point out is that pipe organ scene with clearly basically rubber cartoon characters of them jumping around um, yeah the uh, um, it's i should give a shout out the one so by and large there was a lot of the cgi and special effects that did not work that were so obviously uh you know the final rose falling down from the height of the building it was so obviously a cartoon rose uh however the one thing that they did get right or pretty close to it which was the one thing that was most important for them to get right if you're doing a daredevil film is how they handled his sonar uh agreed that as i was watching i was like it was it wasn't 
astonishingly good, but it was sometimes with effects, the goal is to just be transparent. You shouldn't notice the effects, per se. You should just notice the story that the effects are helping tell. And in this case, for all the sonar, um, including how much his, uh, his sonar is heightened when there's things like rain going on, I felt like the effects did their job. Yeah, no, I think the, the sonar was really good, especially the sonar in the rain, especially the way that it's used to see her face and you know i'm i'm brought back to the 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 um, when she puts the umbrella over her head and he can't see her face anymore um he, you know his powers aren't consistent in this film um mm-hmm. but it's but it's in terms of the effect that is is very nicely done artfully done um what is not as well done is is the climax of the film uh or specifically yeah. the first climax of the film is him versus bullseye the bullseye fight it, yeah is is just terrible across the board the the fight itself is bad you know bullseye breaking glass and catching all of it and then throwing it it looks like you you feel a little bad for colin farrell because he's clearly just like pretending to grab stuff out of the air and then Mm -hmm. flinging it and and uh and daredevil just doing flips and flips and flips to avoid it and then the card like i said the cartoon versions of them going up and compositing which is i i know it's so for those of you who don't do film what compositing is is when you take multiple images um that are generally independent of one another usually with live actors done on a green screen and you layer them so you have you know Ben Affleck is standing in front of a green screen and then you have uh, Colin Farrell standing in front of a green screen and then you put him in front of Colin Farrell and then you put the background which you photograph separately to replace the green screen and it's supposed to give a sense that they're all there but when it's done bad it really looks kind of like the weather person standing in front of the map Um, Mm -hmm. and this either you know poorly animated shots of them swinging up on all the swinging and actually this was a little bit silly um swinging up on top of the uh the the pipe organ and then when you do close-ups on them it looks like just their face is just weirdly composited uh with everything else so you just sort of feel there's a there's a term they use in special effects called the uncanny valley um and what it talks about is and we've talked about this on the show before is the reason that we can accept tom hanks as woody but we don't want to accept tom hanks as the polar express even though woody is far more fake than the Polar Express is that he's nowhere near being real. So you're just able to go, okay, I'm totally cool with that. But when you get something like the conductor on the Polar Express, where it's close enough to being real that you feel like you're watching something real, something about it isn't right. Your brain really catches that stuff. And they're right around this era. They're like Lord of the Rings had it with Legolas jumping on top of the troll. Whenever like you have a digital version of Legolas, you can just sort of tell same thing early Mm -hmm. Harry Potter movies. It's just something from this era where they were like we can make people in the computer now and it it doesn't work um yeah and and then you have the this this era with film was really it kind of i have always liked to think of the 80s music scene as uh i always i i loved the 80s music scene even at the times when it was atrociously bad because i feel like what the 80s and the early 90s were doing was they'd suddenly gotten access to all of this new digital techniques and digital instruments and all these things that you could do digitally with computers that you could never do before and so they were trying everything you know just throwing stuff up against the dartboard just to see what sticks and all of that created some a good amount of really really bad music but that same experimentation also led to the late 90s where you had a lot of people who were saying okay we've learned these techniques now we're going to learn how to artfully apply them and mix them with acoustic and I mean to me granted this could just be the you know the way I grew up the second half of the 90s is one of the best half decades of 
music in my lifetime. And I think a lot of that came about because of a lot of the of a lot of the bad music that had been created before. In that same yeah. way, uh, mu- movies nowadays with special effects, with you know, with exception of course, but I see a lot more movies nowadays that are actually that hold off on the the use of CGI, except when it's like really really necessary. Um, they're they're being more artful about it and more judicious about it. You know, I I'm gonna take your al- your allegory a step further. If you look at um, music from from the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, there's a lot of really good music from that era. Um, and I'm going to name one of my favorite bands, Nine Inch Nails, um, who, yeah. f- whose yeah. first hit album was came out, I think Pretty Hate Machine was 1989. Um, I know Head Like a Hole, I think, was in an 80s movie. Um, uh, so our very, very early 90s. I first discovered it back in like 1993. So, uh, or discovered them in 1993. After Nine Inch Nails came out, there are a bunch of other, uh, a bunch of other bands that decided, oh, we can do that too. And you started to have Marilyn Manson and Ministry and KMFDM and a bunch of other industrial bands trying to do what it was that Nine Inch Nails did. And some of them were good and some of them had some pretty good songs. Um, but none of them were sort of consistently as good as as Nine Inch Nails because it's like you said about the eleven year old taking all the all the pieces and putting it together. When you look at Daredevil. You know, keep in mind Daredevil came out around the same time as Spider Man, and Spider Man had plenty of effects, and they mostly looked real. It came out after the Daredevil, uh, after uh, the Matrix, and those effects mostly looked real. Um, but once it was figured out that you could do this stuff, people were like, "Well, can you do it cheap? Can you do it cheap and fast?" Mm. Um, because because and and we can get pretty close and that looks pretty good um and and i think you end up in a in a situation where where a larger movie or movie, not that matrix cost all that much more matrix was not that much more expensive than this um but when you have people who are really like going i'm really going to pay super attention this shot does not work work on it more it does not work mm-hmm. work on it more or cut it or cut around it um uh, i think you have a you, you have a problem where the the effects now are being used because people think that they're easy to use and you need a more artful approach. And at this in this era, you like people didn't know what, what was and was not going to work. Um, and I don't want to damn it for That's being true. A lot of, a lot of, of the principles era. were being developed. Yeah, but there were films of that era that were doing really good stuff and there's stuff in this film that is just sloppy. There's the, you know, if we ignore mm-hmm. the CGI aspect, the compositing at the end, the shot of, of Colin Farrell sticking his hands out like he's Jesus with, you know, pretending to fall as someone is just zooming the floor up behind him it's you know it's it's a problem i don't before we get done with this section of the film i want to be i want to talk about one more thing that 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 does work because we, right now we've been saying everything wrong with a film um there's plenty of action that's fine in this film yeah um and there are lots of lots of things to smile out specifically individual shots that they pulled right from the comics and even when they're cgi shots um you know since uh not sin city did it too but um but watchmen would come out not too much longer after this and get really specific about we're going to give you this shot that you know but daredevil is one of the first to do it um yeah and and those shots i find very affecting him on the cross we've come back to the last shot of the film with him like like swinging toward you there are aspects of this film that really really do work in like alone like as like if this were a comic book and you were just looking at frames there there's bits of the look of this film that i really like in general i like the the lighting and 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 the gothic aspects of this film but did, did they work for you uh so yes 
and no. The I think where they all, uh, where it failed was that a lot of the gothic stuff, all the tone, didn't go far enough. Um, and which is why I now kind of want to see the, the R-rated thing. I think one of the challenges this film had uh, that X-Men and Spider-Man did not is X-Men and Spider-Man are, they are superhero, they are superhero arcs with a big old capital S. They've got like, you know, Spider-Man's got all of these incredible powers and all of his villains are, you know, these, you know, like the Green Goblin and Doc Octopus and, you know, all of these, you know, huge, larger-than-life things. Um, what made Daredevil so interesting as a comic, even when it came out, was unlike the X-Men, who were always trying to save the world, um, Daredevil had one beat. He protected Hell's Kitchen. That was it. And Hell's Kitchen, at the time, unlike the, uh, you know, unlike the, uh, the bougie cuisine destination that Hell's Kitchen has become now, uh, especially in the 60s, Hell's Kitchen was just a, a bleak part of a city that was already bleak to begin with. And while Daredevil sure had superpowers, they were they were super senses. Like, ooh, he could hear everything coming at him. And yeah, so that gave him a little bit, you know, that maybe gave him a little bit more strength or something. But make moment, no mistake, Spider-Man could jump off of a 20-story building and then find a way to land just fine. The original Daredevil really couldn't. His powers were more muted than that. He was more normal. And so, it, I mean, Daredevil was closer to Batman in that sense. And also in the same way with Batman, it was much more about let's deal with this city, and which meant that the city itself in the comics really needed to have its own character. And that character was dark and hopeless. And so you dealt with those themes of one person trying to make a difference, trying to bring some kind of hope to a hopeless situation. Ironically, trying to bring light to the darkness by being a dark figure himself. Uh, and in the comics, that really works. In this, possibly because they were going for PG or PG-13, whatever it was that they landed with, if you want to really explore a dark and hopeless urban landscape, it is really hard to do that and not have an R-rated. Uh, because you need to be able to take the true, honest, hard look at life in that situation. And that's very hard to do with PG. So, had they actually gone further in that direction, I think a lot of the dark and gothic would have really fit better. Um, but as it was, the dark and gothic looked like very pretty gothic paintings, which make you think, oh, what a lovely gothic painting. Don't actually conjure the sense of loneliness and despair that the gothic style is so frequently supposed to do. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think that, that it is trying to deliver you in moments the comic book panels and while I find those to be successful, I find every moment in between to be, you know, either trying to go as far as the crow or to make you feel a little more comfortable uh, being there. I watched this with my with my soon to be 14 year old and and he thought that this was just fine, thought it was fun. And I think that, you know, I wonder what we would think of this film if we didn't have a be better Daredevil to, compl to compare it to, which we do now. Mm -hmm. um, because well, I, rem I remember my, my response to this film was very lackluster before the Daredevil show came before the new TV show came out. And my feeling toward this film was used to be very, very positive in that I really like Daredevil. So there's a film with Daredevil in it. Cool. Mm. Like that's it, it doesn't need to go much further than that. Like it's a there's a film with Daredevil in it and it doesn't like totally screw the pooch. Like it's not like, you know, the the Dolph Lundgren Punisher film, like if you like the Punisher and that's all you got, where it was like, no, this was pretty much Daredevil. It was pretty much like the Daredevil from the comics. Um and and you know, the it did a fairly good job, you know, the of of giving us that Daredevil from the comics. It's just that now that we have a, a different way of looking at that, you go, oh, well, now that you have a choice of which mm -hmm. Daredevil 
enjoyable to watch. I don't know why anybody would come back to this film, but that's something we talk about next time. Uh, next time we are going to be talking about each of these characters, um, which is uh, the stuff we did not talk about this time, which makes it sound like we're just like taking a big poop on the film. Um, I think that one of the things we're going to enjoy is when we actually look at the characters individually, um, we're going to hit more of the positive highlights of the film because there are, there are things to like and much of it is in the casting. Um, and then we're going to talk about uh, I have done I have taken one for the team. We've promised to review every superhero movie ever made. And as part of the next week's uh, review, we are going to review Electra, the spinoff for about five minutes because there's not much more to say than five minutes on that film. But we're going to cover it. Um, we're also going to talk briefly about the uh, Daredevil TV show. Lots more to talk about with Daredevil. This is a fun journey. But for now, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Light Entertainment. 